You're listening to 50% Facts, the show where we're building a health and fitness resource by trying to answer a single question every week, just based on what we already know. Or maybe what we think we know. Then we bring in the world's leading expert to tell us what we got right and what we got wrong. I'm Jim McDonald. And I'm Mike Farr. Welcome to our show. So, as I was saying, my house is completely topsy-turvy right now. I have, like, clothing dressers in my master bathroom and i have the rest of my clothes are on the bed that i normally sleep in <laughs> we're essentially moved to the front of the house due to uh this flooring installation what a pain yeah i'm, I'm torn i sometimes i don't think i ever was like a hoarder or cluttery but like i think just because of my living situations and where i was and like my mom was still in uh, my main house and i was living kind of with a girlfriend et cetera, et cetera. like i just had a lot of shit yeah so then now in my new house i just got rid of everything he's got rid of everything yeah so even if i hypothetically had your situation there'd be nothing <laughs> nothing to move not really my, my in-laws moved about a year ago and they got into a major like getting rid of yeah. shit it phase feels good and then they they got rid of like more than they probably should have and then they, they've got to go rebuy yeah stuff. but you know in the heat of the moment when you're when you're trying to decide you know what to keep and and, and what to toss when you're moving, like you can get very inspired to get rid of things. I think you get very inspired either way, depending on your personality. Because some people will get inspired just to hold on to everything. Like, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm probably going to need, oh, we're going to need the, you're not going to need that. I think the other thing too depends obviously where you are in life. It's um, like with my life, like I just don't need anything. Like I got a oh, bed, yeah, yeah. I got a TV, I yeah. got like my workstation. Like that's pretty like cluttery, I guess. Uh, computer, two, you know, two monitors, et cetera, et cetera. Like uh-huh. where I stream or where I, do my daily work but the rest of my house man the fridge is empty <laughs> the living room's got a tv and a couch no one uses that's it i got really? like a whole thing yeah i got like a nice ass like basically a theater and no one uses it i don't even use it really yeah uh, 75 inch tv holy shit a little sound bar a little sound bar it's on the wall all mounted we could move it and the couch is huge and comfy i should probably use it but I don't. maybe i'll maybe i'll make it a point to watch new disney on there my first uh like flat screen TV was a big, big plasma that you could probably contact other, you know, realities with or yeah. whatever because it 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 sucked power like nobody's business. Yeah, well, plasma was kind of a phase. Yeah, everyone thought it was cool because the lights were a little brighter, but then it like burns out and. Yeah, well, it was all that was available in yeah. flat screen for yeah. for quite a while there before um before LCD LCD yeah. and LED and all that came in. Um, but I really popped for a a fully articulated. Yeah, uh, uh, like wall mount for it, so it can go any direction. Uh, and I've I have now a newer, bigger TV that is starting to age too. I I don't I don't use this like smart TV part of it that often, but uh, it's starting to get like weird about making connection to like Amazon Video yeah, and yeah. stuff like that. It's it can be very frustrating. I'm, I'm going to have to go with a different strategy here soon. Yeah, one of mine's uh, brand new, and then the other one is old. It's probably, it might be 10 years old. Nah, maybe. It probably might be 8 years old. It might be 10 years old. And I just did a little, uh, not sponsored, should be, uh, Amazon Fire Stick in that thing. Uh, those are pretty damn convenient, too. Yeah. To make it a little smart TV. And it's, it's small in my room, but monitors. I, I watch, actually, movies and stuff on my, at my desktop now. 
Uh, really? Yeah, because my monitors are like nice. They're like gaming oh, monitors, okay. and they look kind of nice. And, and like I, I'm just sitting there working. So when I'm done working, instead of like I don't use my <laughs> living room, and then I'm not gonna go back to bed. So it's just like turn on the TV. I or a movie. I've got just like a 55, but that's kind of all that. That's all pretty the, good. All the space will really hold. And mine's a little obnoxious. 75 is a little obnoxious. I have a maybe 42, 43, or whatever, and in my office at home, which is what I'm going to end up watching as soon as they start installing flooring tomorrow. Uh, but but last night, even though it's co- covered with plastic in the moment, I watched in there because like, I've been watching uh, His Dark Materials on HBO. No idea. Crazy. Good? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of people think that there's it's like a big enough universe that, that it'll eventually... Um, Really, kind of replace Game of Thrones oh, as like this, like the big prestige series. Yeah, yeah, interesting. At HBO, yeah, I'm um, watching nothing. I watched for the first time ever, Gu- Guilty Pleasure or whatever people call. It. I watched the whole Twilight series over the weekend. Oh, really? They were playing it on uh, I don't know what channel, and I have like Hulu Live or something, so I'm sitting there and it's on. And I never really seen them, but I know that they were like in the basis or whatever, kind of in the in the in the pocket of like Hunger Games. Uh, and shows like or movies like that, I kind of mm-hmm. like like a fantasy series like that. And overall, it's not bad. Like there's some acting that is insanely corny. <laughs> there's some like special effects. It's obviously what probably 20 years old, 15 years old, 15 years old probably. probably I, don't even, I don't know. I bet the first couple came out when I was in high school. I feel like That's so at possible. least 15. And yeah, some of the special effects it, are super corny, but it, it's it's like I was entertained. Isn't it fan fiction off of? A, didn't it start off as another genre the same way that? Um, no, I heard, and this is just what I heard. This is at you, Matt, because you told me this. Our buddy Vlad told me this, that uh, Fifty Shades of Grey is a fan fiction of Twilight. That's right. Yeah, that's what he said. But I don't know what the hell he's talking about. And he said he read both, and he said Fifty Shades of Grey sucked. Uh, I think there was a fair amount of sucking. Or was there? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't. That was a movie, too, yeah? It's been two movies, yeah. at least. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Not my, not my thing. Not my genre, either. And and uh, whatchamacallit, it's not really like that, uh, Twilight. Like, it's a, it's a little bit of There's like There's no a, S&M. Yeah. <laughs> it is a little bit of like a fantasy romance or whatever, but it's not yeah. like, maybe I'm, maybe I don't know how to judge it. But I feel like you turn on Fifty Shades of Grey, at least what's in my head, and I'll just be like, oh, yeah. no thanks. Yeah, I don't know. We have scrupulously avoided any contact with it. Uh, yeah. I think I think that's that's probably telling. For... Or even some rom coms, I feel like lean more towards uh, a female audience. Yeah, and you can just turn it on just from the intro scene. I'm like, oh, this is gonna be <laughs> this ain't it. Where like something like a, a hitch it is like a rom com, but like that's just like just a romance comedy. Yeah. Where some are like super like princesses and happy ever afters and the, the the humor's a little different i just don't dig it my uh son and daughter-in-law came over the other night to watch uh the live action little mermaid because she's a giant fan that didn't make it to theaters right it wasn't intended intended Uh-oh. to be because all was, the rest are um well there is a there is a live action uh little mermaid coming apparently gotcha. later Gotcha. In the same style as like the yeah. new Jungle Book and new Aladdin. Lion King and yeah. Lion, uh, Aladdin and all that stuff. But uh, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, so this was a combination of the original film and then like live on stage performances of uh, yeah, yeah. different songs. Yeah, they stuff. did that in uh, Sound of Music and some stuff yeah. like that, like a TV special kind of. Yeah, yeah. 
Shaggy was Sebastian. Shaggy the rapper? Yes. Was Sebastian. Uh, does the, the and he was wearing... He has an accent. What kind of accent does Sebastian have? He's Jamaican. I think Shaggy is Caribbean. a fake accent. That's totally possible. I'm going to Google it. I don't know. But uh, he was wearing essentially the Eddie Murphy delirious oh, no. red... Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm talking yeah, about? Leather suit. Like if you, you put the picture side by side, you almost can't tell the uh, suits apart. So I don't know whose idea that was. It was odd. And the flounder puppet scared people <laughs> because of the way it looks. It's uh, anyway. Shaggy's Jamaican and Canadian. Okay, he's Jamaican. So, yeah, there's something in there, I guess. Where did Shaggy grow up? Oh, it was in Kingston. I don't he know where I under, heard under the sea. Yeah, I heard he had a fake accent for some reason. Well, that's um, possible. But it sounds like it's legitimate now, and I don't want to. So I'm sorry, Shaggy. I was incorrect, buddy. It's not the first time, and it won't be the last. I apologize. <laughs> it's called fifty percent facts for a reason. I'm sorry. It's, your, it's up to you to figure out which the facts are. Um, Mandalorian's live. Disney's live. We're not sponsored. Probably um, going to check that out all freaking week and do absolutely nothing. Even though there's not that much to watch because they're rolling out Mandalorian week by week. So, Of the Mandalorian, but like everything became available. I understand yeah. that's just a little bit controversial because some of their – some of the stuff that it's not really ready for prime time anymore, you know, a lot of political – not oh. politically correct stuff is oh well like even Dumbo is not politically correct. oh yeah yeah for sure not but I mean I think um, I've watched some random debates on Twitch uh, lately like political guns these uh. guys are just political commentators and in one point that one guy always brings up um, because other people don't understand the concept or I don't know if they don't agree but they just don't even think about it you can't like judge art speeches tweets um, video anything based on nowadays like rhetoric uh, during that time. Um, and I don't think, and obviously like uh, even like m- murder and things like that, obviously you could judge a little bit, but like pure words or, 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 or slang or things uh-huh. like that, like you just can't go back in time and hold our day's standard to it. Even even six years ago, I feel. Yeah, even probably less than that. I um, And so then that's hard. Like I'm not, whoever wrote Dumbo's script, I'm not calling him a racist. Like I'm just yeah. not going to do that. Well, <clears throat> this is a, a case in point not to overly criticize our last guest on the show, but we were talking about transgender issues, and we talked about Transformer that Janae Crock yeah, yeah. is in, and she said, oh, yeah, I love Janae, and I love the, the show. I can't remember whether she said this on the episode or off the episode, but she's like, oh, yeah, but some of the stuff that she said is just not right or whatever. I was like, well, here, that was kind of like, you know, I mean, she was she was very fiery in the yeah, course yeah, yeah. of the thing, and, and uh, we were you know, attempting to kind of walk a neutral line about um, just the, the open questions around the whole thing. But uh, that was one thing that that actually bugged me because I thought, well, you know, that was Janae's experience. That was her own experience. And yeah, I don't, she, I don't I, think that she's required to, like, fit into the, the politically correct, um, you know, yeah. language and terminology around her own experience if others are... Yeah, I don't know because I don't think she told us an exact... She didn't phrase, tell us what it was. Yeah. And so it, it is so hard because with the internet and with so many people, and I, I, I do, I, I empathize with every party out there. And, and one party and type of personality is just trying to protect people's feelings. And I get that. But, like, yeah, you can't say anything without being ripped up, you know? Like, I'm going to offend somebody. 
Yeah, I, and, like I'm yeah. sure I've already offended somebody in this podcast somehow. Like, I'm, yeah, probably. Yeah, and, and, and like it, it, you can't just scratch it off and say, "Well, intent matters." But to me, um, and hopefully all of you that have followed this journey for so long, like you know the intent, and to me, intent matters. And when you know someone, or even half know someone, I feel like the intent over over masks any phrase. You I know think, what I mean? Yeah, no, I think that that's true. And you just can't say that when it's like a political figure or a celebrity because we don't know their intent. Yeah. Uh, and so, like, you can't judge intent. But when you know someone a little bit, I think um, that that's the, the over-masking. There is a, in, um, there is a, like, psychological theory called um, transactional analysis. And the things that people say in certain situations will fit into particular patterns that are recognized. And one of them is called nigisob, which is now I got you, son of a bitch. When somebody says something that you decide is is offensive or is is offensive generally or whatever uh, is one example of, of nigisob. Then you turn on that person and right. you, you know, you're, you give negative negative negativity back to them yeah and telling them that oh you violated this thing and so you wronged me and so yeah you start a mini war yeah yeah exactly and that's just that's what some of this stuff can be sometimes i think and like yeah i understand um people are looking for uh to change the power dynamic of a situation and if you've been oppressed then certainly you want to but i i think it's it's difficult to criticize people for things like not getting pronouns right if it's not if that information's not been provided and yeah, it's yeah. not or somebody if, you know. And if yeah, if it's not like the norm, you know, when we're talking about like in twenty twenty five maybe it is, but like right now it's like slowly. It, we're in a that. transitional phase yeah. about that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah. I mean the amount of language or racial slurs used in the eighties compared to now is probably night and day, you know? Yeah. And so you you do have to take it and, and not to say that we shouldn't or can't do better, but we're we're a lot more uh, open in 2019 than we were in 1919, so we're making some kind of progress at least. Yeah, this is the best we've been. <laughs> so, transitioning off that, what we want to talk about today is uh, back pain. Some of these stats you see, and I don't know if they're dog shit, but you'll be watching TV and they'll be like, uh, "Did you know 80 percent of adults in America have back pain?" I'm just like that seems like a lot. Well, it might be true though, but that's the same as like, do you know, eighty percent of Americans stub their toe? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, probably. Like, eighty percent of Americans eventually will, you know, try a nutritional diet strategy. Like, yeah, that's likely. Um, what we're digging into is uh, just the the maybe maybe the base layer here of what is pain, um, pain versus injury, uh, being hurt versus injury, um, being beat up tweaks versus injury which is something i've talked a lot about on youtube and and i don't know the definition necessarily because i'm not a medical professional but what i do know is that i played sports my whole life pretty recklessly put my body through a lot of things 15 years of basketball 10 years of of strength training powerlifting and through those hopefully and I, i i used to say like oh if you played sports growing up you know the difference automatically but the more i've thought about it the more people i've worked with i don't think you do automatically um, I think some of it is uh, a little bit more of a personality trait um, where some people always obviously think they're fucking beat up. Some people always think they're never beat up and they're yeah. too beat up. Um, and it's kind of a spectrum there. But um, to me, uh, injury 
you're heading to surgery or doctor, like there's no way to fix this thing. Um, being beat up, tweaks, uh, hurt, uh, if you're playing any physical activity in pushing your body to any kind of level, especially in powerlifting, literally we're trying to do more than we did yesterday, like and, and for years. Yeah. <laughs> like you're literally just trying to do more. It's uh, the most basic progressive overload. Um, you probably will get beat up. Will you get injured? Maybe not, but you will get hurt. Um, and that's the same with probably any other sport. Anyone who's played basketball at a high level for even five years, you're twisting an ankle, you're mm. you're jamming a finger, you're and I've never once went to a doctor because any injury I did in basketball because it's not an injury I just got hurt. You know, yeah. Like my my hand was swollen as shit. I couldn't grab a pen, but nothing's broken. Like it happens. <laughs> well, it's been like I don't know six weeks ago now that I fell with the ladder and 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 barked my shins really hard i still have knots there but people are like why don't you go to the doctor it's like well yeah, what's what the doctor gonna do? gonna do yeah really that's the sad question with everything because people because i've had back issues here and there for my whole life but especially in powerlifting people are like what do you well go to a doc. like doctor's gonna one doctor's gonna say surgery and uh. another doctor's gonna say say advil and stop squatting and <clears> like, <throat> I, neither of those answers are the answers i can handle so yeah why am i gonna go and, you know, with this, it actually, I mean, it hurt in the moment, and it was uncomfortable. But I wasn't, like, in pain, pain. Yeah, yeah. If I was actually in pain, I'd, if there were things I couldn't do yeah. because I was in pain, sure, then it would be entirely different. There were things I was, you know, more careful about, right. let's say, because uh, uh, for fear of, of making things worse. But... In general, like it didn't really even cross my mind to go to the doctor as as many times as people um, said it, and and that can be really true with with a, with back pain. You can walk out of a um, of a workout and be yeah uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. And it, once I was pushing hard and powerlifting, I was uncomfortable every day. And that's the thing. Yeah, yeah. It. you're you're sore, but yeah. you're not like yeah. Are you injured in such a way that you need to do something about it? Yeah, I don't know. You know, the best I've ever felt was probably this last year physically where I, where I probably had like a 40%, 40 to 60 mix of, of cardio and lifting where I was lifting, you know, 60% in some kind of conditioning, 40, 30. Um, for me personally, I do have a lot of back issues and it just gets locked up when I power lift. So doing some kind of unilateral, whether it's a Stairmaster, a bicycle or, or walking even, um, just allowed my hips to be a little bit more open, which allowed my back to be a little bit looser. And that was like honestly yeah probably the best i've ever felt and did i lift huge numbers no i think i pulled you know maybe 620 this year was the heaviest i've touched or something and squatted 540 or something which um are okay numbers but they're not near my best or pushing my best mm. um, which played a role also right because if you're pushing every single day for more volume or more weight you're gonna more likely get a little bit tighter and messed up a conversation of pain is really really interesting um just because you, you can't um it's it's, it's all perception uh I could say, hey, Jim, you know, on a scale of 1 to 10, slam me with a hammer on your on your thumb. Mm-hmm. 1 to 10, how does that hurt? And I'd go do it to Connor over here and do it to myself and we'll probably come up with different numbers. Um, and so how do you, yeah, how do you tell someone just to basically stop being a pussy? That's, yeah. <laughs> that's, what, that's what, like, I think 90% of these things are, like, stop being so negative, stop being a pussy, uh, and, and honestly, like, walk it off. Yeah. Like, in, in a literal sense. Yeah, and and trying to figure out, like, what, what can be walked off and yeah. and you know people have different pain thresholds as, as you're pointing out with your hammer there too that you know some people are going to just feel it a whole yeah. lot more than than others uh and it's going to be more of an impediment to them 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But but and that's why uh another conversation we, we had with um Eric Helms and Omar Isaf, you know, is, is bodybuilding for everyone and what is bodybuilding like is powerlifting for everyone? And one sense I always say yes, because I think anyone can get a little bit stronger, enjoy mm-hmm. the process and there's a lot of health benefits. But to take it to a level, I, I would honestly say like no. Uh because you, you have to have a certain mindset to really um put your body through what it takes to add kilos to the bar every month. Yeah. It's a it's a mental game as much as it is yeah. anything else. Yeah, but. it's it's a lot worse than basketball in that sense. Like showing up to basketball was a grind and the difference is basketball you can kinda of practice whenever. Powerlifting you can't really do more than like two two, maybe three hours a day. Mm-hmm. It'll just explode. But like so basketball, like you're going eight hours a day between lifting, conditioning and playing. Right. Like drills and then playing. So like that sense it it's a little bit more difficult, but in terms of like what you're going to put your body through. Um, powerlifting is pretty fucking near the top. Yeah. <clears throat> and the question for everybody is, uh, if you get injured in such a way that you, that it affects your outside life, then how much longer do you want to keep going yeah. in it? And yeah, what is it to you? Yeah, and exactly. It, and it, it, from almost day one, it was just never it to me. Like I never hopped into powerlifting saying like, I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to be top five in the world. Like, it's just never my mentality. But but um, you kind of need that mentality. You need that mentality in any sport to, to creep near the top. Um, but you definitely need it in powerlifting just because of the physical uh, torture you're gonna yeah. about to put yourself through. Exactly. All right. Well, uh, this topic we're going to talk to... Um Dr. William Richards about this. He has a business in which he helps people uh, use fitness to get past uh, back pain issues. And really, we're we're asking him just to talk about the specific of uh, like whether you're hurt or whether you're uh, just sore and how to you know how whether you're injured or or you know and you need to seek other help or if you these are things you can work out yourself. And then if you can't work it out, like what should you be doing to get yourself back into the game? And we'll be speaking to him on the other side of this message about Mac Weldon. <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, I can now, after full use, say these are the best boxers I've ever worn. This Cub Scout's honor. Uh, Mac Weldon is an online um, underwear uh, service provider who's honestly personal experience here they sent me a couple pairs and they are i'm wearing them right now they are the best boxers i've ever had they're the perfect mix between a cotton boxer brief which gets stretchy and uncomfortable and a spandex uh (coughs) boxer brief which doesn't allow you to breathe and and they're honestly they're not that comfortable they just fit right this feels like something in between i don't know if they got their material from mars or, or venus or something but it's absolutely perfect mac weldon is better than whatever you're wearing right now and i can honestly say that myself if they if they wanted to just sponsor me for the rest of my life i would absolutely take it uh, it's a premium men's essential brand uh, that believes in smart design and premium fabrics they have uh, products for whatever you guys want to wear i also have um i got a button up from them that i wore out it's on my mm-hmm. instagram you can check that out. i should have tagged them i'm sorry guys i'll tag you. i'll go back and tag you i wore a button out uh so they have some like nicer looking stuff um it looks like kind of casual business cash uh items uh, they believe in smart design premium fabrics and simple shopping Going online super easy. They have a couple categories for you if you want to check out w- whether it be the underwear or the outerwear. Um, they have like jackets and things. They also have, um, I got a sweater and a button up uh, to go with the fit. 
It really is the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants that you will ever wear. Uh, they even have one pair of boxers that I got as well uh, that have a silver lining in there, which is a natural antimicrobial to keep your man parts clean. Being stanky. All they do is they want you to be comfortable. So if you don't like your first pair of underwear, you can always keep it and they'll give you a full refund. No questions asked my friends not only does mac weldon's underwear socks and shirts look good they perform well too uh it's great for working out hiking going on dates just everyday life uh i i, I i'm on, i'm honestly sold i'm honestly sold they are the most comfortable underwears i've ever worn yeah as you said they um i don't know what the fabric is exactly but they engineered their own they started from the from the ground up with that uh and it's it's super comfortable i have the boxers on at the moment as well i did not really time that with this ad read that's just how it came out because if when they're clean i grab them <laughs> i guess that's the best testament that i can give for them is that when when my mac weldon pairs are are uh are in the drawer clean. Uh, they're the ones I'm likely to grab. Easy to use website. I've got, uh, I think as I said last time, a jacket. I got a pair of pants that are like lounge pants that I wear every single day around the house because um, we're at that time of the year where it's actually sort of colder inside our houses than than it is outside. <laughs> For Mine whatever too. reason, yeah. It's a weird season in Sacramento. Yeah, for sure it is. Uh, and as Mike said, if grab a pair of underwear from them. If you don't like them, you can keep them, and they will still refund your money. For 20% off your first order, visit MacWeldon.com and enter the promo code FACTS, F-A-C-T-S. That's it, ladies and gentlemen. Mac, M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com and use code FACTS. F-A-C-T-S for 20% off your first order. Load them up. I, I promise you, uh, this is Scout's Honor, all that. that, that you, you'll dig them. Hey, William. It's Mike and Jim. Hey, what's up, guys? How you doing? Good. Thanks for coming on the program. Man, I appreciate you, uh, you have me. I really do appreciate it. Uh, tell us a little bit about your background so that... Uh, so everybody understands what your uh, your experience is working with uh, folks with back pain. Yeah, so went to college in Virginia at a university called Old Dominion University. Um, graduated there with exercise science. Got out and uh, just became a trainer. Uh, was certified by American College of Sports Medicine uh, outside of college, and then basically was in the trenches just training um, general population. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say four years into what now is like a 10 and a half, 11 year, um, you know, fitness professional background. Um, I injured my back. I'm not sure exactly the way I did it. That's kind of still a mystery, but I started having chronic back pain and uh, long story short on, on that end, got it checked out, had MRIs done and found that I had ruptured my disc. So basically from that point on, um, just through my own strategies, education, learning, um, I started actually working with clients online because I was kind of starting to get freedom from my pain using some strategies that I was kind of creating and also just learning about um, and was able to kind of build an audience of people who were in a similar situation who had been dealing with this chronic back pain, wanting to to exercise more. Um, so that's that's pretty much my background as far as the, um, again, the education kind of comes from the university as far as people who I study under, you know, I'm a, a big fan of, of Stuart McGill, Lormore Mosley, a lot of the barbell medicine guys, um, 
those are, I guess, what you would say are my mentors. Cool. So when you this this is kind of one of our essential questions here is like when you are experiencing pain, especially for the first time, how do you tell whether it is an actual injury or if you're just just particularly sore because you did something in a different way than you did it before and uh, obviously your like next move is kind of contingent on which one of those things you did to yourself. Yeah. I think a lot of it for me and, and kind of what I've learned to be true working with people, it, it kind of comes down to the individual, right? What did the person do? How long had they been experiencing the the issues because i take a very multi-dimensional approach to it because it is like there isn't like a stretch this you get that type of thing so when you're looking at someone who is standing in front of you you're at the gym and they're kind of having this this acute flare-up or acute injury a lot of times i try to keep it simple i try to say okay this is just an acute issue right and unless they they're having like major major issues like you know you have your your um your typical loss of control of like bowels bladder numbness loss of feeling unconsciousness like obviously those the major things um are are, is something you kind of have to go a little bit more into dive a little more deeper but for the person who's just kind of just recently or is dealing with some kind of acute issue i look at how they injured themselves right is it they were squatting and now every time they squat, they have acute issues. Is it they just bent over to pick up a pencil or a towel or their gym bag? Um, and then for some reason, their back went out. Mm. So those are two types of situations. And, and to be honest with you, a lot of times um, it kind of the root issue stems from a very similar place. You know, you have the mechanics of it, you know, such as the pencil, the tissue, the book bag, or you have the squat that caused the issue. But from there, I think once you have a good understanding of like when it started to come on, then you can kind of build this narrative to get them out or get them around it and to give them a better understanding of what it might be. So uh, like if you wake up the next morning and you can't get out of bed, clearly that's a problem. (laughs) Absolutely. So, I mean, in my experience, and this is something that I've personally dealt with when I was in college, you know, I remember very vividly numerous times after like deadlift sessions or squatting sessions where the next day, if I was anything outside of like standing neutral, like there was no bending over, bending over to pull my pants up was almost impossible. Mm. It was just, it was just brutal. So those situations, I think that is a time to worry in a sense of like, okay, like I definitely just jacked something up. Something is not, Right. But at the same time, I don't really ever suggest someone rushing to the hospital, rushing to a doctor, freaking out, because odds are if it were, if there wasn't some kind of major issue, like if you did a, a hard leg session, a hard deadlift session the day prior and you wake up and you can't move, you've got numbness on your legs. I mean, that's odds are it's probably from what you did in the gym. And so now you're looking at technique. Now you're looking at form, how you're doing things um, and and trying to pinpoint what you may have done to kind of cause that. Uh, When you're working with these people, how many do you send to get an MRI or something? Because you hear stats out there that, 
ninety uh, percent of lifters probably have some kind of disc issue, and yeah. who knows how many Americans. Um, and then, how much uh, do you think a disc plays a role um, with with everybody's uh, pain or issues going on? So MRIs, and I'm coming from a place where I've had two MRIs done. Right, I my my first MRI was to con- or to tell me first off that I had a ruptured disc and that I was diagnosed with degenerative discs above that site. Second one was about a year and a half, two years later. Um, just cause I had like, let it go. I didn't treat it, uh, medically as far as like having a fusion or anything like that. And I had done again. So at that time in my life, I thought MRIs were the golden standard where I'm at today. Usually at my position in the fitness industry is I'm the bridge between people who are getting released from exercise with a rehab specialist, right? So they, they're seeing a physio, a mm-hmm. PT, they're seeing tyros or whatever they're being released from due to their medical um, diagnosis. Now their doctor's like, you know what? You're on your own. It's been six weeks. You're good to go. Go exercise. And they come out scared to death, still having symptoms, really tight, not really having a good grasp of anything. So that's kind of where I plug myself in. So I don't necessarily suggest nor have i been in a situation where i say you know what you should go get an mri done because typically the people who come to me already know where they're at and what their doctor their physio their pt is giving them to do after four years of being diagnosed or having that surgery after doing those things for so long they still don't have freedom from their pain and now it's a chronic situation Mm -hmm. it's no longer an acute thing so if I was in a position where I was like, dude, you know what? This is out of my hands. Obviously, that would be any kind of major symptom, right? Mm-hmm. Any kind of major issue going on, I would revert them back out to MRIs. Now, to kind of go to your question with the discs, to my education and knowledge and what I understand of research, that you can have seven different people who have MRIs done lined up and they all had the same, let's say, bulging discs, right? But they're all going to experience pain very differently. Mm -hmm. And that's the craziness of pain. And that's where like my, my, I guess my passion in understanding pain science really kind of came out because like that is very, very true. Like someone who has fractured vertebrae, someone who has like me, a ruptured disc, discs don't grow back, right? So you have a ruptured disc, you have a herniated disc, you have all these different things, um, degenerative disc disease or stenosis, whatever you may have. But that doesn't necessarily mean that, oh, you have a fractured vertebrae, therefore your pain makes sense, mm. right? You're, it, you have pain because you do have a bulging disc. And that bulging disc could be throwing off your QLs and hiking your hip and twisting it because of compensation. Like you get all, you, you can get super technical, but like that really doesn't help people. Right. And I think it's, again, it, it's kind of coming from the lens that I've experienced with myself and, and the people who I've worked with. Like there's been people who ruptured discs, who have had fusions, like multiple levels of fusions who are getting freedom from chronic pain. So I never hang my hat, nor do I allow like people that I work with in the gym to like say, hey, you know what? Like, you know, I, I have back pain. I have this. I, I was diagnosed with this herniation. Therefore, like, I can't do that kind of stuff, you know, um, and that's always with the context of, of the person, what they can and cannot do, because there, there, there are some limitations. 
uh, limitations, but it's not as extreme as I think the general population is in fear of. I mean, there was a time when we told people with back injuries to stay in bed and not do anything, and some somehow that was just going to resolve everything. And mm-hmm. I, I think that maybe the the thinking has changed about that over time. Uh, yeah, I can say that uh, your average uh, PT is not looking to get an athlete back to being athletic, lifting weights mm-hmm. or whatever. They're they're responsibilities kind of revolve around activities of daily living kind of stuff and, mm-hmm. and just in, and pain-free movement, but not anything above and beyond what your average person does. So that's kind of where yeah. you've slotted yourself and getting people back into, um, actually backing into, back into working out or maybe if they never worked out. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a little bit of both. Like people who, I mean, I have people who, you know, I'm, I'm talking to working with who say, yeah, I was, I was an avid lifter. I was an avid rower, hiker, biker, whatever they may be. And now ever since this, I just can't seem to get back to where I was. Right. Or I'm, I'm just so deathly afraid of, of loading my spine or, or training my legs or, you know, I don't know what course work to do or whatever it may be. Absolutely. Cause I, I think there is a massive disconnect between Post rehab, right? When you've been released and and you're you're safe to resume your grocery shopping, your lawn mowing, and stuff like that. But like, there's a there's a group of people who want to get stronger in a sense of like I used to be more active, and ever since this fusion or ever since this laminectomy, whatever I had, I can't get there. And then there's a, a group who understand everyone's being told that exercise is important, right? Mm-hmm. Every time you go to the doctor, you get a checkup. You know what? You should be more active. You can do that. And I guess where people are finding me is they're being told this stuff, but their limiting factor is their diagnosis, oh, right? Okay. They want to do this, but their their wall that they have to climb, the mountain they have to move is their surgery, their, their years and years of chronic pain, their whatever a doctor told them 10 years ago. Um, about their spine and how deformed it was or whatever it may be. That's, that is exactly pretty much where I, I fit myself because there, there is a place and there is important, critical, both mental and like functional, like mechanical movements, strength, and understanding that you're not fragile and that you're strong and your spine is, is totally fine and able to recover, that those types of people need to hear. And I think whether you are become some avid lifter or, you know, a gym rat or going back to that, or you just want to live your life and play with your grandkids and, and chase your kids or put your kids in a crib without crippling over, it doesn't matter what you necessarily want to achieve. I think regardless, those people come out with not all the tools they need to be successful. You said uh, you come at this thing, obviously, from, from a couple uh, angles, and it'll depend on the individual. Uh, but what are some of the main modalities that you kind of use? Is it soft tissue stuff? Is it stretching? Is it some kind of mobility? Is it strength um, or, or something we don't even know? Yeah, so what I typically do first is obviously rule everything out. So once everything's ruled out and it, it, it's a person that I'm able to kind of work from from my standpoint, that's kind of where I – I progress into what I do. Now, the first thing I typically will focus on first is the narrative that they have about their pain, about their situation. Now, if we're talking about acute, 
if we're talking about chronic, um, you know, those narratives, they, they kind of blend over because someone who is has an acute issue, um, you have two people, one who somebody who would like freak out and say, oh, my gosh, like I ruptured something. I heard a pop. I fell to this and they freak out. And then you have someone who experiences the same thing and they're kind of like, ah, whatever, you know, it'll just it'll heal. I'll be mm. fine. So you have two different personalities. Right. So seeing where that person is coming from. So are they the type who's just like, I'll be good. You know, I need some like some to change my form around or, or pick some certain exercises that don't trigger pain. Then you had people who are like, like genuinely scared to death of flexing their spine. Right. So I like to look at the narrative and that's really that, that pain science stuff, understanding what pain is, the signaling of pain, why we experience pain, like all that's just stuff around the mind body connection right from there that's when i kind of would start to have them take time off in a sense of not sitting around the couch catching up on you know whatever show you watch but really trying to be introduce the most fundamental activities back into their routine and this is like a couple days after right because every day if you're doing if you're not pushing it and you're taking good recovery you're sleeping well you're eating well you will, after your injury, after that day you wake up, every day will feel a little bit better. It may not necessarily like be, be tangible, but you are getting better. So three, four, five days after this major event, um, and it's acute or chronic, what I'll tend to try to get them to do is do some kind of fast-paced walking. Mm-hmm. Like that is my go-to thing. I think it's one of the most powerful, low-impact muscle activation drills ever. It's very simple. The majority of people can do it, and you can scale it. Right. So people who are chronically in pain or acute, they've got to get those muscles being activated. Right. Because what I kind of tend to um, use the terminology is is called your protection mechanism. Right. And that's like your body's response to an injury. So when you have an acute issue, that's your body's acute response to an issue. So you have this protection mechanism where your body is being triggered or your mind is triggering muscles in the area to contract, restrict, get tight. And that causes the pain, right? So what we don't want is for you to wake up every day in fear of movement, not moving due to just being scared of, of re-injury or making things worse. So things just start clamping down because your body's responding to the situation out of fear. So I use the walking. That's kind of like my, my, my first, go-to thing um and just really getting their their mind to connect with relaxing right because a lot of times you have acute issues chronic pain issues things are very tense people are scared people don't know what's going on they're tight they're achy they're in pain they're completely spasmed out like things are just locked in so you have to just in a way i don't like this i don't like using terms like um like hippie type stuff where you're like, you know, think like it's, it's mind over matter. Like, I don't believe that you can like think your way through getting out of pain necessarily. I think it's a process, but it's almost like an indirect way of doing it. Right. So you can't just tell someone who's in pain, just, you know, just, just cheer up, you know, don't, don't think you're in pain. You're you're fine. It's not, it's not that strategy, but getting them to just understand that relax go out walking, get a pace going, get a nice fast paced walking. If that's two minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, whatever you can manage before anything starts to flare up, that's your goal. The goal is not to baby it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and then from there, it's like, 
once they're kind of getting past that and things are starting to kind of calm down um, in, in an acute situation, then that's when I would basically start working back loading stuff, right? You're, you're trying to address painful trigger movements, whether it be flexion or it be extension or whether it be, you know, squatting, lunging, pressing, whatever you might do that triggers those, that pain or that symptom. We're looking at that because this, this really is the fork in the road for acute versus chronic. People like me, where I, when I was dealing with chronic, chronic pain, like years and years and years of pain, um, I went down that road where I wasn't really addressing these things. I was just babying them. I lived this life of like restriction, right? You just kind of start removing things from your life that caused issues. So I make sure, I try to make sure that these people are focusing on not going down that fork not going down the, the chronic pain road and focusing on that acute. And, th- and that's all it is, is acute. So you're looking at catastrophizing, again, activating muscles in area or during those specific activities that are causing pain, you're kind of addressing those things. So, and, and we can go into even more detail with that, but that's kind of like the, the macro version of, of how I look at things. So they're returning to activities, particularly their activities that may have um, are the maybe the most problematic for them. But you're kind of getting them, easing them back into it in kind of a gentle way, and maybe um, reinforcing that it's not as bad as they think it's going to be. Exactly, exactly. Because exactly, you want because you're taking a mechanical approach, right? The movement, the hinging the pressing, the pulling, and then you're taking the mindset approach, the pain science approach, where when something's coming on, when you feel a muscle getting tighter or after leg day, my low back always gets tight or my hamstrings always feel tight after X, Y, and Z. You're trying to address in the moment through these movements, through strategic introduction back into like basics of hip hinging, basics of lunging, bodyweight squatting, and learning to relax these things. That mind-body connection, that's where that happens. And again, that's where that acute and chronic really kind of split. Obviously, the conversation is insanely broad because we're talking, you know, there's all these TV commercials of of how many Americans uh, will deal with back pain past age 30 or whatever. And my guess is those people are just sitting at a desk, not like even you just said, like walking can fix so much. Um, If those people had, those people might have like a strength issue, obviously postural uh, and just being absolutely uh, lazy their entire lives, Uh, which is much different than, uh, you know, a power lifter who's squatting four, five, six, 700 pounds and maybe tweaks or hurts something um, during a lift. For those people that hurt something during, you know, a competitive lift or, or pushing themselves next level, what are what are some things that uh, you think trigger uh, these injuries? Is is it a muscle imbalance? Is it a movement pattern issue? Is it um, uh, it, maybe they're sitting at their desk all day and not walking? Uh, is there something that you found um, is that more of a root for some of these lifters? Yeah, I try I try not to take a super like detailed micro like oh your your hip is tilted a little bit too much to the right or you know you favor your right leg you know uh, a centimeter ver- i just don't it to me that just makes things super complicated right it's like saying that having perfect posture is like the best way to go and if you can have perfect posture then you'll never be in pain your body will feel great and that's just not true so in those situations where i'm dealing with more of like a lifter I'm looking at just how they're 
structuring their program, how much recovery they have. Are they eating well? Are they getting enough sleep? How's their stress? Because back pain isn't a, okay, this guy was squatting 400 pounds and he clearly drifted too far forward. He failed. And then his spotter was not there in time to catch him and was a little bit late to get it off of him. Right. That's a, that's an injury. That's something that's okay. This guy did some damage. He might've hurt something, pulled, sprained, twisted, whatever, which might need some more medical intervention and a lot more time off, but like little tweaks and stuff like that. I think to me personally, I think I, I take steps back with clients. I take steps back with these athletes and say, okay, let's go back over the fundamentals. How well is your warm up? How well are you sleeping? How well are you, um, how's your nutrition? And then kind of going from there and seeing, you know, what may have caused that issue, right? Cause it, it really kind of depends on the individual. If they're, if they didn't sleep that well that night and they're super high strung, lots of stress, no money in the bank, quit their job, whatever it may be, like a subtle tweak in their low back could have come from something like that, right? It's more of a compounding thing often than a very individual specific kind of root issue. So, excuse me, uh, a lot of the time, I guess, when we're looking at, at like flaws in lifting form or whatever, um, we're sort of reverse engineering those flaws into being the causes of things when they're sometimes just not. It just, just happens mm-hmm. to be how that person's body moves and isn't any more likely to to cause them an injury than it is anybody else. It's just mm-hmm. it's just the whole the whole system of their body the like you said the rest and nutrition and and all of those factors and stress i mean people obviously get hurt more often when they're under stress um yeah so just going back to to the uh, sort of two big takeaways here the get moving walk uh if you if you've got a, a tweak and you're hoping that it's not anything more uh complicated than that and uh, then gently returning to activity and things like anti-inflammatories or cold or heat or stretching or whatever. Do you think that those are just, they're kind of the icing on the cake stuff and the actual movement is the most important part? Absolutely. I think those are great tools. I personally take a, a anti-stretch approach to low back pain, right? Because I've seen, and there's some situations where there is a an actual shortening of the muscle belly that needs to be stretched, right? But like, there's just not enough research that suggests that like the long-term effects of stretching is going to give you some kind of long-term fix, right? Because mm-hmm. oftentimes when it comes to low back pain, we're thinking, okay, they're they're experiencing the sensation of tightness right? Like stiffness, QL tightness, whatever it may be. So their immediate response is stretching because that's all you see on Instagram. You see QL stretches and, mm-hmm. and smashing it and, and all this stuff. So they stretch it, but that just pisses it off more. That's just really making your situation worse. So I always suggest to do the, the minimal amount of stuff, get moving again, you know, and I kind of have a, like a three-step process to kind of bulletproofing, um, your, your training environment to kind of help you with prepping for workouts and stuff like that, that that's kind of, and I, I can kind of 
fill you in on that a little bit too. But um, that's it, man. Like I, I just don't think ice, heat, stretching, they can be a tool. I'm sure there'll be somebody who says, oh, you know, stretching my QL saved my life. And that's awesome. And that's then that could be very, very true. So I don't want to ever discredit it. But I think we put too much emphasis on that stuff. I think we if you're experiencing tightness, odds are if it's acute, it's the sensation of tightness. You do not need to have all this traction done and be hanging upside down from a from an inversion table and, and all this stuff to try to get rid of the symptom. Right. If you can focus on just the body, relaxing it, building strength and maybe fine tuning some things like exercise selection, how you prep for a workout. I think that has the most powerful effect on the average population. Um, There will will and are always outliers because back pain is very complex. Um, But I think because of its complexity, people are afraid to talk about it. Right. I'm coming from a place where I've ruptured discs, I have degenerative disc disease, I have all these things that was diagnosed with, you lived with years of chronic back pain, but I can be pain-free, and then there's someone who has a slight herniation who thinks their world is over, Yeah. right? But not enough people are really talking about it. Like, yeah, I think every strength coach has a general knowledge of like, oh, if that hurts your back, let's just not do it. You know, let's, if you can't do traditional deadlifts, let's do... Um, you know, hex bar deadlifts. Let's let's change those things up. But I think outside of that, like because of the complexity, we're afraid to touch it. I think that's where like we just need to educate ourselves more and just understand that the body wants to like our bodies are very complex, sophisticated machines, right? Like if you think that your shoulder being rotated slightly to the right a little bit too much compared to the left is going to throw your entire life out of whack and cause your chronic knee pain you know i'm sure there's someone who can connect all these things but that's not helping the person who has the knee pain making it so complex break it down make it simple get some results and then build on that that's that's my strategy yeah and i I do agree and i like your strategy but i think the the conversation is being had on instagram it's just being had in the (laughs) wrong areas you know like there's information out there and and there's a million coaches and there's a million pts putting out the newest coolest looking stretch on instagram like you mentioned or or smashing this Mm -hmm. or how freaking popular foam rollers all of a sudden like uh, 10 years ago you'd kind of lay on one in between sets and use it as a pillow and then now i go into a gym and everyone's rolling on that stupid (laughs) thing for an hour you know and, and it's it- crazy because like i'm not like the people i follow like i'm not sure if you guys have heard of of barbell medicine have you heard of those guys yet yeah no. yeah my buddy alan works with them yeah 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 alan, yeah you guys um had him on your show so those guys are awesome like and those guys are people who i mentor like those are my mentors are great people very smart guys in the industry and it's funny because I, I surround myself so much with this type of of influence and then when I'm in the gym, I'm like, don't you guys like read anything? Like, aren't you guys like <laughs> looking at the current stuff going on? Like you're still using that foam roller like for 15 minutes before you work out. Like it's funny, but it's people still need to hear it, man. It's just <laughs> people yeah. need to hear it. Yeah. And it's just, it's just spectrums. I mean, it's the same as politics. You go from one extreme to the other where 10 years ago, no one's warming up and they're just hopping under a squat bar mm-hmm. to now everyone's warming up for an hour and squatting mm-hmm. for 15 minutes. And, and hopefully we find <laughs> exactly. a, 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 you know, a medium here coming up soon where people get some kind of, you know, exercise prep before they go. And then, and then they, they're focusing on their workout and stop, stop focusing on, like you mentioned, hanging upside down like Spider-Man all day. 
Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. I think it's important. The pre-workout prep, I mean, I, I think there's lots of value in it, but it doesn't need to be this super specific, drawn-out process. I mean, who has time for that stuff? Like, I, dude, I don't have two and a half hours just sitting in the gym, spending the first 30 minutes just warming my, my hip up. You know, I just don't have that 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 kind of time yeah yeah it so might be the one thing um, uh, our high school pe teachers had right you know you run a couple laps yeah. touch your toes three yeah. times and yeah. hop under a squat bar <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> well william thanks for uh um keeping it simple for us here uh where can people find you yes i mean as far as youtube instagram facebook it, it's fitness for back pain so the number four um I've got a website where I put all my content, articles, stuff like that. It's uh, fitnessforbackpain.com. That's pretty much it. Awesome. Thanks so much for being on. Hey, thanks for taking your time uh, to to chat with us. Guys, I appreciate you having me on. I appreciate it. Uh, I'm Silent Mike on Instagram, 2Ks, Twitter. Follow the show. Be sure to give us a rating and review. It really helps us out, and we appreciate it. I am Matt DJ McD on all the social media. Follow the show. On Instagram and Twitter, we are 50% facts, where percent is a word. We'll talk to you next week.